Welcome to this bonus episode of The Lone Adventurer. Please rest assured, this is not a replacement for the usual weekly episode. That will be landing on Wednesday as normal, so stand down to it again. Following a listener question, back in chapter 16, I asked folks to write in with any questions they may have, with the intention of slotting them into the Behind the Curtain section each week. Of course, I had reckoned without two critical factors. One, I ended up with quite a few questions. More than I expected, and enough, in fact, that at the rate of a question a week, it would have taken several weeks, if not months, to get to some of the more recent ones. And two, I had conveniently forgotten my own unerring ability to use 50 words where five will do. Unless I wanted to lengthen my episodes by quite a lot, it was going to be hard to fit it all in. And so, the Q&A bonus episode is born. As and when any further questions come in, I'll stack them up, and when I have enough, I'll release one of these extra episodes. Right, that's enough preamble. Let's get to your questions. First up, listener Russell Bannister writes in with a question about speed of play. Russell writes, I'm interested to know how much fiction you write when you're playing. Obviously, you write a script for the podcast, but do you get into that level of detail while playing? I'm playing a solo game, and I'm lucky to do one scene in a three- to four-hour session, purely due to the time to write the details of the action and the dialogue. This means that things are much slower than a group game. Well, thanks for the question, Russell. It's a good one. Uh, And I hear this a fair bit from solo RPGers. How to strike that right balance between momentum and detail. Too much detail, and the story develops at a snail's pace. Too much momentum, and the sense of immersion or living in the story can evaporate. I think the most important thing to say first is there's no real right way to solo an RPG, just the way that's right for you and for the specific game that you're playing. That said, finding that right balance can be a bit of a skill in itself. I have an analogy I can try that may resonate with role players. It's not an exact fit, but hopefully it'll get across some of the point that I'm trying to make here. Analogy, apologies in advance for the stretching and torturing that's about to come your way. When playing in a group game, you have a choice regarding the way that you prep and play that game. At one end of the spectrum, you might spend a week crafting your session notes, preparing all the minis and the terrain ahead of your weekly game, doing all the painting and scratch building for everything. Then you might spend hours putting together a music soundtrack, printing up handouts and setting up the lighting and your dry ice machine. And... When you come to play, your game runs like a clockwork marvel, all gridded combat and encyclopedia-like knowledge of the rules. That's, in a way, a little bit like me making this podcast. Undeniably, the work of an obsessive lunatic, but no less valid a way to play. With this podcast, I play through the mechanics first. And then off of those bare bones, I write a full script, plus commentary, that all comes in at about 4,500 words a week. Then you add on recording, plus mastering, plus sometimes a bit of promoting of what I've done. Well, that's a lot of stuff to get in the way of the momentum of the actual story. At the other extreme, you can rock up to your group game on a Friday with no rulebooks and zero prep and wing the whole thing in a dazzling display of improv skill, effortlessly running your six-way combat scene in a theatre of the mind and eliciting powerful, moving role-playing from your players. Who gives a damn if you play a little bit fast and loose with the rules? Everyone at that table is having a blast, and that's what matters, right? 
So, to put this in terms of your question about solo RPGs, Russell, at this end of the spectrum, it's all about absolute bare mechanics, with all the colour, detail and RP taking place in your head. Pretty much nothing gets written down, perhaps a few bullet points here and there as memory prompts. Playing a solo like this, you can rattle through plot at an incredible pace, far faster than you could in a group game. The challenge, at this end of the spectrum, is very similar to that of the improv GM. Soloing a game in your head, without writing things out in long form, is a skill to be developed, just like improv DMing. It's hard, much harder than writing your story down in full, in fact. Thanks to school and work, it's likely that we all come to gaming with some writing skills. But keeping an emerging story, as well as the details of the world and all the various character personalities and interactions, keeping all of that in your head, that's really tough. The answer is to find the pace that works for you by finding the right point of compromise along your spectrum. It doesn't have to end up as a novel. If a series of bullet points or key prompts is enough, go with that. It doesn't also have to be consistent. Some scenes might warrant full description and dialogue as you drill into who your character is and how they're interacting with somebody else, but others you might find that it's fine to just write out a brief list of what happened and move on. You can move back and forth between full journaling and brief note-taking as the mood and the game requirements dictate. Now, as I've mentioned in the podcast, I usually move back and forth between the scene mechanics and the narrative, and that means, in some ways, I'm actually effectively operating at both ends of the spectrum. First, I'm creating the scene mechanically, in a matter of minutes usually, and then afterwards, I'm writing it out in full. So, in answer to your question, how much fiction do you write while you're playing, the answer's usually none at all. I go back and write the long-form fiction once the mechanics are done, revisiting the mechanics and putting flesh on the bones later. Now, that second step is obviously essential when you're writing something for public consumption, but if your game is just for you, you can do as much or as little of the second part as you feel like. From personal experience, it can be harder to let go of that long-form writing at first. It almost feels like you're leaving something undone or it's incomplete. But it can also be very liberating when you discover how fast your stories can emerge and develop, unshackled by all that extraneous prose. Anyway, I hope that's helpful, Russell. If it prompted more questions than the answers, which I suspect it probably did, please do feel free to ask some more. Next up, Redditor GoodTotal9 gets in touch with a question about dialogue and social interaction. GoodTotal9 writes, Hi Carl, I love your podcast. It's helped me greatly refine my own solo roleplay with Mythic GME and other tools. The sections where you look behind the scenes to explain the underlying mechanics are like gold dust. Keep them going. Well, I certainly will, good total nine, and thank you very much for the kind words. Now, here's the question. If I could ask anything, it would be further insights and or details into how you play out the social interactions and dialogue scenes with the NPCs. I found these to be the most difficult aspects to emulate in solo roleplay. Any additional tools, tips and tricks that you can share would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. It's a great question. Of course, my PC says whatever I want them to say, but NPCs are of course another story. I've already mentioned in the podcast how a personality generator is useful. I use my own canoe approach, but there are of course many other NPC personality generators out there. Then, I have a bit of a think about where they're from. 
This background can be just a single line, something like champion bare-knuckle fighter from the docks or slumming alcoholic socialite. And that tells me pretty much all I need to know at a high level about who this person is in terms of education, life experience and so on. Sometimes I'll also use UNE, the Universal NPC Emulator, to find motivations too, and, and from these, along with the personality and the background, I try to find a voice. I don't just mean an accent or vocalisations, I mean how they frame sentences, are they verbose or taciturn, clipped or what have you. Knowing what someone sounds like and how they put words together can really help establish their vocabulary and help a persona emerge from their words, whether they're written or spoken. And then with that in place, I usually turn to my tools to prompt me about what they're going to say, particularly if there's any uncertainty in my mind about what that NPC is going after or what they're trying to do. Often that tool is mythic. Perhaps yes-no questions about what the NPC is trying to do, There's also a set of NPC behaviour rules in Mythic Variations that I've used before. Sometimes I'll use UNE, and there are modules for NPC responses, discussion and bearing in that tool. Usually, though, my NPC response emerges from a combination of the present situation and the game context, knowing who my NPC is and how they talk, knowing their motivations and what they want, and then knowing what is currently happening in the fiction and how that impacts the NPC. Typically, all of that taken together is going to give me a pretty clear steer as to what they're going to say. I do see this aspect of solo RPG a little bit like a puzzle, very much like the puzzle that the Mythic GM provides you when it gives you those esoteric plot prompts. Using all the jigsaw pieces that you have, you need to find the piece that best fits the space that you've identified. Well, again, I hope that's helpful. It makes sense to me. I hope it does to you too. Next, we have Unicornus from Reddit. And he writes, Any transcripts? Not all of us can hear. Now, indeed, there are transcripts. And I absolutely should have thought of this one myself. As I've mentioned, I write every episode out in full. I get about that 4,500 words. And then I record them. So there's no reason at all why I can't make those words available as a link in the show notes for those that are unable to listen to the podcast. It's no extra work for me to add inclusivity and accessibility to The Lone Adventurer, so that's what I'm going to be doing from now on. And I've gone back and updated all the show notes from the previous episodes to include those transcript links. Again, thanks for flagging this unicornus. It's a really good shout. Next, Uncle Krupp writes in from Reddit with this question. I appreciate the intermissions that explain how you come to the events in the scene. I keep meaning to read the notes you post. Question. Have you considered using Mythic Variations 2 or any of the other tools from the Mythic magazines? Thanks, Uncle Crook. I've had quite a bit of positive feedback now about the Behind the Curtains section. I'm really glad that people are finding them useful and interesting. They're useful for me too, actually, as a way of keeping my own processes in order. And I do like the opportunity to throw in stuff that's on my mind or that ever so tangentially relates to the game that I'm currently playing. Now, I don't own Mythic Variations 1, but I have used stuff from Mythic Variations 2 occasionally, and I've dipped into the Mythic magazines a little bit. Back in Chapter 5, I mentioned that I tried a simpler NPC behaviour set of rules from the Mythic Magazine 1, for example. But I will be honest, I found it quite hard to wrap my head around both Variations 2 rules and, to a lesser extent, the simplified rules for NPC behaviour. So, to be honest, I've almost totally stopped using the Mythic books. 
I find the way they're presented really quite wordy, and I find some of the rules and variations too a little bit overcooked, and the less said about the interior art in the first book, the better. The card deck is so much simpler and more intuitive, and I almost exclusively use that these days. It really is a wonderful tool. That said, if you think there is content in the magazines, or indeed in the variations books, that I'm missing out on, I would be interested to hear about it, so please do let me know. And finally, Corey Mayo, whose solo blog, Oh Solo Mayo, is always a fantastic read. He asked this question on BoardGameGeek's solo RPG page. He says, I know you've been posting solo RPG actual plays for a number of years on your blog. Since moving to the podcast format, your actual play output has become more consistent and connected. How has this change in mediums affected your desire to continue at length with a single campaign, as opposed to jumping from system to new system and campaign to new campaign? Is it related to your wanting to grow an audience, or perhaps a desire to match the process of your contemporaries, such as Me, Myself and Die, Tales of the Manticore, etc.? Well, great question, Corey, and one you know, I'd not really thought about until now. Corey's absolutely right. I have been solo RPGing for a pretty long time, mainly posting my sessions on my blog site or on BoardGameGeek. And it's fair to say that my output has been sporadic at best. Although I do have one campaign, The Devil's Riddle, that so far has 84 blog posts, pretty much all of my others are much, much shorter, and often peter out after only a few episodes. And even The Devil's Riddle is hugely unpredictable. At some points I was posting daily, at others it would lie fallow for a year or more. In part, that's because I get bored easily. The muse departs, my energy gets low, or the new shiny comes along and distracts me. I do enjoy trying new game systems out, and my RPG acquisition disorder does mean that I tend to end up getting new games in far faster than I can ever play them. That's certainly part of the reason that I flip between games normally. That, and the sense that I'm beholden to no one and what audience I do have is very, very small. But with this run on The Lone Adventurer, with an episode a week, every week, and with 17 or 18 chapters written at the time of writing this, it's definitely one of my longer endeavours, certainly in terms of word count, and is without question my most regular. I think you're right to suggest that the medium plays a part, Corey. The fact that I'm producing content for an audience that has an expectation of a regular cadence means that I do feel some sense of obligation to hit my weekly Wednesday deadline. And there's a risk there as well. I may run the risk of turning it into work or a chore if I'm not careful. So far, thankfully, that's not happened. Either the novelty of the thing hasn't worn off, or I really am in love with the sound of my own voice. I suspect I know which one of those my wife would pick. I think your point about growing an audience and trying to emulate the works of the podcasts that inspire me are pretty astute. Again, I'd not really consciously thought about that, but I think there is probably some vain part of me looking for approval that wants to be like them and wants to see my audience grow. Thankfully, it's a fairly small part, and it's outweighed by the part of me that's actually doing this for the sheer fun of it and the love of the process, and and surprising myself at the emerging story. Because if I was doing this to hit the level of those folks that inspired me, or to grow my audience to huge levels, I think I'd have packed my bags quite a while back. I have done a bit of marketing for the podcast, but perhaps the best piece of advice I got when I started this whole thing 
was from arguably the best solo RPG content producer out there, Trevor Deval, who kindly replied to an email I'd sent him asking for advice. I hope he won't mind if I read out what he said. I'd asked him how he publicised me, myself and die, and he said, in terms of anything else, social media marketing-wise, I'm definitely the wrong person to talk to. I don't do any advertising whatsoever, and I loathe social media, so I never talk about the show on Twitter or whatnot, I just fire and forget, and hope that the show is good enough to generate its own buzz with the people who would be interested. Now that was music to my ears, because I frankly really struggle with Twitter and Facebook, and that comment took a lot of pressure off me, and it helped me focus on really what matters most, the story. I also got some great advice from Matt Risby, who said, be consistent. Committing to regular content is tough and a lot of work, but it's what keeps people coming back. There are a ton of Ironsworn or Starforged APs that started strong and then faded after three to five episodes. I've belligerently kept plugging away and got lucky. Well, I do think that talent has got a lot more to do with it than luck in Matt's case, but the point is absolutely valid. Consistency is key in podcasting. John, from Tale of the Manticore, said something very similar. So I will keep plugging away and see where it takes me. And more importantly, Mina. Well, that's it. Thank you for all your questions, and thank you so much for listening to The Lone Adventurer. If any of you out there have any questions you'd like me to answer, please do send them in, and I'll pull together another of these bonus episodes when I have enough content. Thanks again.